Hello and welcome to another Sunday Playlist podcast. This week we're continuing the story of the early church in Acts chapter 15. Chapter 14 of Acts ends with the church in Antioch, all together sharing what God had been doing among them. It had been a hard slog, but they were back together again and had lots of stories of God's grace and power and how he'd opened a door of faith to non-Jews. Chapter 15 starts with the words, But some men came down from Judea. When Luke starts a paragraph with but, you've got the feeling that something isn't going to be good. We don't know the motivation of these men, but we do know that they made a special trip to Antioch, which is over 700 kilometres away, to spoil the party, to disrupt the unity of the believers, and to tell them that they were wrong about allowing Gentiles to come to faith without first becoming like Jews. It reminds me of a time when I had not long become a Christian when I was 17, walking through York city centre. I was full of the joys of new faith and loving life. I met a guy on the street with a billboard which read something like, Repent and be baptised. Ah, another brother in the Lord, I thought. I'll go and have a chat with him and share my newfound faith. It seems I was a bit naive to think this might be a chance to encourage one another. Instead, he started to question whether I really was a born-again believer. Did I get baptised properly? Was it full submersion in water or just partial submersion? Did I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? How did I know? Did I speak in tongues? It felt like an onslaught of suspicion and condescension, and I left questioning my own faith a little bit and whether somehow I'd missed something. Perhaps he didn't mean to make me feel like that, but that was the effect the conversation had. It knocked me a bit and caused me to doubt myself. It's sad that believers can often speak that way. In our quest to honour God and ensure people are following what we see to be the right ways, there's a danger of turning people away from Jesus. It's good to be challenged in love every now and again, but when people are undermining your faith with a critical spirit, I find it's just best to distance yourself from them. My first song today is called Get On by Third Day, or in their words, Get On. As well as being a rocky number, the lyrics encourage the listener to tell those who want to bring you down, respectfully, to do one. I think it's pretty good advice, to be honest, and it's a great song. This is Third Day with Get On. Only bring division 
When I say get on, get on, get on away from me You're trying to bring me down You're trying to bring me down And I say get on, get on, get on away from me You're trying to bring me down You're trying to bring me down And I say get on, get on, get on, get on men from Judea were teaching that unless a man is circumcised according to the customs of Moses, they can't be saved. That was a very bold claim that threatened to undermine the very faith of non-Jewish converts and there will be many claims like it in following centuries. Paul, writing to the first churches in that region, explores the relationship between Jewish faith and practice and the welcoming of Gentiles into the same faith with Jesus as their Lord and Messiah. In his letter to the Galatians he writes, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The beautiful message of the gospel is simply that we're saved, meaning made right with God, by nothing other than receiving God's incredibly gracious gift of Jesus. We can't earn it because you can't earn a gift. You can only receive it in good faith. No amount of following religious rules and practices will make God love you any more or less. God's grace stands in stark contrast to every other religion out there and it's such good news to our world desperately trying to be more, earn more, look better, work harder and achieve more. When it comes to God, we bring nothing to the table other than a humble desire to know Him. This is Grace by You Too. And when she walks 
So there was a showdown between the apostles and the teachers of the law, a big dispute, and they got together in Jerusalem to try and thrash it out. They were following in the footsteps of Jesus himself, who faced his biggest opposition from Jewish teachers of the law too, and he gave them his sharpest words. Luke writes about one such encounter in chapter 11 of his gospel. Jesus is invited by a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, to eat with him. Sounds nice. 
But Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal, which to be honest sounds fair enough to me, doesn't it you? Particularly in these times of COVID. And his host didn't like it. Jesus lets rip on him. Some other teachers get involved and say, hang on a minute, you're offending us too. And guess what Jesus does? He lets rip on them as well. This quote is one of the most damning of his words. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Paul's quote in verse 10 of Acts 15 is very similar. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Jesus' teaching and example was aimed at setting people free from unnecessary rules and restrictions. But that's not to say he didn't command certain attitudes and behaviours from his followers, he did. Remember, he asked people to take upon themselves a yoke, which is in itself an instrument of work. The difference was that Jesus' yoke, or burden, is easy and good. It helps people navigate through life with him by their side, a truly fruitful and fulfilling life. Some of Jesus' interpretations and adaptions of Old Testament law would have been outrageous to Orthodox Jewish teachers at the time. No wonder they wanted to get rid of him. My next song is one I wrote a good few years back and it's called Outrageous Grace. Straight to the proud and the pious Show- 
Men from Judea wanted to add an extra burden to the new Gentile converts, and thankfully, the gathering of the apostles and disciples decided to make it as easy as possible for non-Jews to join the family of believers. So far, so good. They did, however, decide on four rules. To abstain from eating food offered to idols, strangled animals and blood. These three might seem very strange to us, but they were probably given because they would enable both Jews and Gentiles to eat together without offence, something the early church did a lot. It's an example of what Paul writes in his letter to Romans about not using your freedom of conscience as a way of always getting your own way. It's better to abstain from doing anything that might cause offence to those who you're in a community with, even if you don't see it as a big deal. Besides, you can always eat what you want in the privacy of your own home. The fourth rule was given about sexual purity. In Greco-Roman culture, prostitution was legal, public and widespread. Pornographic paintings were featured among the art collections in respectable upper-class households. It was considered natural and unremarkable for men to be sexually attracted to teenage youths of both sexes, and pederasty was condoned as long as the younger male partner was not a free-born Roman. And that's just scratching the surface. It was a licentious culture, and some of the converts to Christianity would have come from that background. One of the things that was to mark them out as different would be to follow the biblical practice of sex, that it was a sacred act between a man and a woman who committed their lives to one another. It wasn't popular at the time, and it's still not much more popular today, but unlike the food laws, it's an enduring commandment for the people of God. Our current Western culture is also a highly sexualized culture. Sex sells. Newspapers, films, TV programs, even adverts for toothpaste and perfume. Pop rock and hip-hop music is dominated by sexual themes and music videos which could easily be classed as soft porn. When you try to avoid it online, there's no escape from pop-ups and images of half-naked bodies coming even when you were looking for something completely different. Call me a prude if you like, I've been called worse but the biblical principle of sex within marriage is still one I think should be a hallmark of the followers of Jesus. 
Contrary to some popular belief, I don't think the church actually is obsessed with sex, but it does stand up for moral principles and some find them unpalatable. It was quite hard to find songs written about sexual purity, are you surprised? But SOS by an artist called Julie Miller, who had never heard of written back in the 90s, is one such song that criticises the use of sex to manipulate people and sell things. You probably haven't heard it, neither had I, but here it is, it's pretty good actually. some of the Orthodox Jews felt they were being sidelined, not only by Jesus' criticism of their motives for sticking religiously to the law, but now by the Apostles who seemed to be glossing over so many of the traditions and laws they held so dearly. Rather than seeking to be a thorn in the side of Gentiles, perhaps they were just trying to remain faithful to God. After all, these were in the law of Moses, and saw this compromise as another step down the slippery slope of being absorbed into the surrounding culture. Jesus told a parable about a brother who was faithful to his father, working on a farm, looking after the family business, doing all the right things, but receiving no reward for it. His younger brother, on the other hand, insults his father by asking for his inheritance early. He deserts the family, squanders the money with wild living, 
before returning with his tail between his legs instead of being punished, his father treats him with honour, gushing over him with affection, a ring for his finger, new robes and a party in his honour. It's scandalous and it's a slap in the face to the older brother who'd been faithful all along. It's a similar relationship between the faithful Jews and the returning Gentiles. It's not fair, but it is good. It's a great picture of the way God treats each one of us who's wandered away. He welcomes us back with open arms and celebrates our return. We don't deserve it, but then we never did. That's what grace is all about. My final song today tells a story of this parable. It's a long one, so buckle up, but it's worth it. Here's Keith Green's Prodigal Son Suite.
Oh. 
This is my son who I thought had 